Verse 1, chapter 38 says, And it came, it came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he married her and went into her. So she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. So uh, she conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. And she conceived yet again and bore a son and called his name Shelah. And he was uh, at Chizib when she bore him. So uh, Judah decides, going all the way back to verse 1, to depart from his brothers. We don't know why. Um, there's no reason given. Uh, uh, we know that it was Judah's idea to sell off his brother. And uh, speculation for me, this is not scriptural or anything, but speculation based on what I have here is that it might have been too much for him. He might have said, you know what, I've, I've broken dad's heart. We don't know. Like I said, where the scripture's silent, we can remain silent. It's, I'm just giving you a little of my opinion on this. He sold his brother and deceived his father. And, uh, and, and, they, and we know Jacob was a deceiver and uh, that uh, he kind of got a little taste of his own medicine. But this is, this is pretty brutal. You know, they bring back the, the coat of his son and say that he got eaten by, uh, by an animal and it's covered in blood and, and uh, they lie to their dad. So it's just a thought that he might have said, you know what, I need to get out of here. He might not have been sleeping very well. You know, I wonder if dad's going to find out Then I'm in trouble. Who knows? We don't know, but he decided to leave. And, um, and uh, so he knows this Adulamite. He has a friend named Hira. And, uh, and we see here that as he uh, goes to him, that he took a liking to a certain Canaanite woman. Now, the Canaanites, is, it's probably going to be familiar to us as we've been studying through, that uh, all the way through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the Canaanite women were forbidden for marriage. And uh, here's Judah disobeying um, what uh, had been passed along. And, and uh, we, we understand that as they would have married a Canaanite, it would have a negative spiritual effect in their life. Because now they're they're marrying somebody uh, that is uh, has a very strong pagan influence, and that will affect their lives and their relationship with the Lord. So they were uh, they were told not to do that. And you'll remember uh, when Abraham sent Isaac uh, sent a um, his um, Eliezer his uh, uh, person servant in the house um, uh, to to go out. Uh, he said, don't take a wife from the Canaanites. Go uh, to my family and find a wife there. So very deep roots uh, for them as a family to not marry a Canaanite. So uh, what we see, uh, there's a warning there because our lives can be changed and uh, negatively influenced as we make unwise decisions. And we should follow scripture. What does the scripture tell us? Not to be unequally yoked, right? That means, you know, when, when you're taking, uh, let's say, oxen, for, for example, you're not going to take one that's super strong and yoke that with one that's very weak. Because, you know, or you're not going to yoke that with a different animal that's not, it wouldn't, it, it, it's just going to end up going around in circles and one's going to get dragged and it's going to tire the other one out. It's supposed to be equally yoked. You're supposed to be, for us as the Christian, like-minded, that we have the same values. You know, for me to uh, to go off and just 
do whatever and, and marry somebody uh, that isn't a believer, I can get myself into big trouble as a Christian doing that because now we have two different standards, right? What's happening here is this is uh, they were told not to, to marry Canaanite women, and he does. So uh, they marry, and they have three sons. Verse 6 says, Then Judah took a wife for Ur, her, his son, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. So uh, we see that, that Judah goes and, and takes a, a, a wife and um, for Ur. And uh, you know, time had definitely passed because now Ur, Ur is old enough to marry. So sometimes we don't have a, they stayed this year and at this age. Sometimes we do, right? When we were in 37, it says that Joseph was 17 years old. So sometimes we see that. This is talking about a span of time. So it took a while, you know, before somebody's old enough to marry. Uh, then, uh, so we know, okay, maybe 15, 16 years at a minimum, you know, at whatever age they would have been that they would have gotten married, gotten married, you know, and maybe up to 18, 20, whatever it was. Uh, so you're, that's a long time that's gone by. So, uh, when we're looking at the scripture, it can sometimes seem as though, oh, you know, one day this happened, the next day this happened, you know, but there's some time that's happened, uh, that's, that's spanned, uh, here. And, uh, as this is gone, as time is gone, they, uh, he finds this woman named Tamar for Judah, for Ur to marry. And, uh, we see that this is a beginning and, of a very uh, tragic and sad story of a woman's life. She um, experiences a lot uh, in her life, and, and there's a lot for us to learn. Um, what she experiences, death um, of two husbands. Uh, she's selfishly used for personal pleasure uh, and neglected, and, you know, amongst other things. But, uh, but we learn a few things. That she's an obedient person. She uh, and and we'll see these things as we go through here. She's patient, uh, extremely intelligent. She's smart as a whip. She uh, came up with a pretty uh, intelligent plan. Not that it was not that I would suggest anybody go do what she does here, but uh, she's innovative and and uh, persistent and self-preserving. So she, uh, you know, to to kind of set the tone of who she is. Uh, we, those are some things to help us kind of, as we see the story unfold, we'll learn a little bit more about her. So although there's great trial and tragedy in her life, uh, she remains in a place of distinct honor that can never be taken away from her as we'll, we'll see that she is listed in the genealogy of the savior of the world. So, uh, as we, as we look at 38, none of this is just happening because, and, and more of a, oh, hey, gee whiz, this is historical information. This is directly tied to King David, to Jesus Christ. There's a lot that happens here for us to learn and, and really um, uh, grow from. So we learn that Tamar's husband is uh, a wicked man. It says that he was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. And we don't have a lot of details, but this typically means that somebody's a, a pretty bad dude. You know, they, they're not really uh, somebody that's seeking the Lord at all. They, uh, their whole life is wickedness. And, and uh, uh, you know, as we've seen in other examples, as we studied, Ezekiel 33, 11 says, Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. 
for why should you die, O house of Israel? So we know that the Lord took him and, and killed him because of, of uh, some unsaid wickedness, but th that the Lord didn't have joy in doing so. You know, the Lord uh, speaking through Ezekiel is explaining um, that, that he doesn't have uh, any joy in the death of the wicked. And, and he tells Ezekiel to say that to them. But we see that there was an exceeding wickedness in his life, so much so that God took his life. You know, consider that God uh, had breathed breath into man in Genesis 2, right? Breathed breath into the lungs of man. Man is very precious in his sight. And when I say man, man, woman, uh, his his creation is very precious in his sight. For him to, to do this, uh, it's, it's a big deal. And it wasn't anything taken lightly. He also holds our breath in his hand. Daniel 5, 23, the end part of 23 says, And the Lord who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways you have not glorified. That says there that, that the Lord was not being glorified in their lives even though he holds their breath in his hand. So uh, we understand that, that uh, Ur was a man that was uh, living in rebellion and uh, was wicked, and uh, unfortunately, even today, that uh, we that same rebellion is is in our hearts, and we can follow that all the way. And look what happens to our lives. We the Lord may take us. Uh, our acts. Uh, we all know that you know the Lord's going to call us at some point, but uh, we can make things really hard on ourselves. We can uh, do things that are going to uh, put us in in danger. Uh, now and might be condemning to us eternally. You know, those are those are uh, some crazy things that if somebody doesn't know Jesus and they're living their lives like that, it's sad, you know, and, and the Christian should be calling them away from that, saying, hey, in love, right? We're called to call people to repentance in love. Those who know better, sometimes we can be a little more stern. But somebody who doesn't know, we can't just walk up to them and say, don't you know the Bible? They're going to be like, no, <laughs> that's not going to make any sense, right? It's not. It's, it wouldn't be fair for us to come up to them and say, "Hey, the scripture says this, this, and this," and you're not do. Oh, I, have, I have a stiff neck, guys. So I'm sorry, and I'm getting. I uh, uh, so I'm dealing with that. So if I wince, I'm okay, I think. But uh, yeah, I, I was this morning totally immobile. Jen had to help me even get out of bed. Uh, so I, I just slept wrong, and I've been having a neck issue. So if I do that, I'm okay. Uh, I, hopefully, it's not a distraction. But I just want to let you know if I just. I say, ow, I'm not trying to, it just is coming out because it's a stabbing pain in my neck, okay? So I said that to somebody at work today, and you know, I was going to buy some leave or something. She's like, oh, are you sick too? And I'm like, no, I have a pain in the neck. She's like, I have two of those at home. So so it was that was funny today. So but so it, that was funny. But uh, so we see that that uh, she was married, uh, Tamar was married to Ur. Uh, but now she's a widow. And uh, we see in verse 8, it says, And Judah said to Onan, the secondborn, Go into your brother's wife and marry her, and raise up an heir to your brother. But Onan knew that the heir would not be his, and it came to pass that when he went into his brother's wife, that he admitted on the ground, uh, lest he should give an heir to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, therefore he killed him also. Disclaimer, the Lord isn't just sitting there with lightning bolts. You've heard me say this, waiting to take us out if we do something wrong. Okay, if that was the case, none of us would be here. Okay, these are exceedingly wicked things that were happening in patriarchal days. 
uh, and, and we'll look into that a little bit more as we go. But this was a responsibility, a command of his father, a responsibility to raise up an heir for his brother. So uh, Judah commands this, and, and uh, Onan, as the uh, second born, was commanded by his father to do so. And, and it would be an honorable thing for him to do. You know, not that Ur, we see, was a man worthy of honor, but uh, because his father told him to do so. And, and you think about it, it would also bless Tamar. She had lost her husband, and now she has a little one to raise. She has one to pour her love uh, into, right? Uh, that uh, when, when someone is a widow or a widower, uh, the, the sorrow sometimes that for, for many, many years, and, and sometimes, sadly, for uh, a whole lifetime, for the rest of their lives, they, there's that there's that burning empty uh, burning empty there's that emptiness in their hearts of oh you know they're they're gone and uh, very very difficult to lose somebody she lost her husband and uh, Judah uh, comes up with this and, and says this now this would later become uh, something called a Leverite law that that w it would um, and we'll see it in the scripture here in just a moment we'll we'll cover it but that somebody would be obligated to do so uh, within Israel. So it's very important in this patriarchal society that land and livestock and everything would be able to be passed on to the heir through this process. So if a married man would die a childless, his brother or another family uh, family member was obligated to marry the widow and to sire an heir for uh, that brother. That was what they were supposed to do. Uh, Deuteronomy, you'll see it come up here, uh, 25 verses 5 through 10. It gets in, uh, uh, instituted as the law, uh, as part of the law here. And Deuteronomy 25 verse 5 says, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall uh, not be married to a stranger outside the family, but her, uh, her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as wife, and perform the duty of a husband, uh, husband's brother to her. And it shall be that if the firstborn son, which she bears, uh, will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that uh, his name will not be blotted out uh, of Israel. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother, uh, his brother's wife, go up to the gate of the elders and say, "My husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother." Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, "I do not want to take her," then his brother's wife shall come in the, uh, to him in the presence of the elders. Remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall uh, be called in Israel the house of him who had uh, his sandal removed. That would be a, a thing of shame. You know, the, the sandal would have uh, been uh, that being removed as a, as a symbol of shame. And then she can spit in his face. You know, that, that's quite a, a scenario there that, that what would happen is that the brother would uh, be obligated to do so, uh, that the, uh, the child would uh, carry on that uh, lineage, right, that heir. 
uh, and uh, that heir would, would carry on the lineage of what would have been their father. So uh, there's nothing to gain for the second, uh, the second brother, and that's what Onan sees here. Onan would have fallen into this category of, of saying, you know what, I don't want to deal with it. And, uh, and he would have got a spit in his face. And, you know, that's an assumption of mine as he would have probably fallen into that category. But that hadn't been done yet. That hadn't been established yet. So when uh, what ends up happening, and if you have an English Standard Version, the ESV, it says that whenever he would go into her. So implying that possibly it would be several times that he would sexually take advantage of her and not impregnate her. So he's using her for his own personal uh, pleasure is what's happening. When he was commanded to go in to marry her, make, him, make her his wife, go into her, have a child with her, and then raise up a son in the name of his brother. That's what he was supposed to do. That's what he was commanded by his father to do. But, uh, you know, he's, he's uh, just using her for sexual pleasure. And uh, we, we, we know it's at least one time. Uh, so uh, she's now gone from uh, being a widow to being an object of pleasure for Onan. Just an object that he can sleep with. And then uh, rather than um, you know, leave his semen in her and impregnate her, he would, uh, he would dump it on the ground. You know, so I'm uh, not trying to be too graphic. It's just what it's, it's an adult Bible study. We can talk about those things, but uh, he he's just using her. Now, uh, unfortunately, the use of uh, another person for sexual pleasure, male and female on each side of that, right, is all too common and using each other. Sometimes, unfortunately, Christians will get it to the point where they'll say, I'm going to missionary date. And, uh, you know, I can drag him to church. And once you, you know, I get him to church here, then maybe he'll give his life to the Lord and then maybe we can get married, you know, go through those things. And unfortunately, what do we see? It's typically the believer being dragged into the way of the world, right? And falling into that sin, right? The sex before marriage. Unfortunately, that's the case, you know, and then they get to that point where the Lord works in their hearts and calls them to repentance and says, hey, it's not what I want for your life. After you're married, great. Right now, that's, that's, that's not what's supposed to happen in your life. Unfortunately, that's what ends up happening all too often is we get into that hero mode of pride and say, I can save them. I can drag them in. And uh, unfortunately, end up getting used for sexual pleasure. It happens like uh, as we have discussed already. And uh, so this is a, a you know a completely different context of what's happening, uh, but it's it's uh, it, that that mindset of just using people is still um, uh, is still alive and well today. So this woman, after losing her first husband, is now being neglected for selfish reasons, and the big reason behind it is that the heir that would come would not be his. Right? That's what it said. That was the whole problem. So what we see is Onan getting what he wants physically. But there's no there's no attachment there to to fulfill the uh, command of his father so that he would uh, honor his brother and so he wanted the int intimacy but no uh, fulfillment of uh, you know taking care of his brother. Now this became known and is still known today as onanism, where someone would emit on the ground to avoid providing for their family, and that's. Uh, that is a sin and it is selfishness. And that's the, when when you're considering what, what is Onanism. That's biblically, as his name is Onan, 
and what he just did. That is uh, what it is. There are uh, some that will imply that that uh, not emitting semen uh, would be uh, onanism uh, as a if it's used as a means of uh, birth control. Onan lost his life because he was sinful and selfish and was using this woman and was not willing to uh, obey his father's command and to honor his brother and to provide an heir. That's why he died. So when you consider Onanism, that's what Onanism is and what it means. So it's a selfishness, and he's using her for his sexual gratification. Uh, you know, and it didn't. So his sin, we see, didn't just affect him; it affected her. You know, it was incredible disrespect to Tamar, to his father, and to his brother. So uh, just to put that in context, because we've read two back to back. This guy lived, he was wicked and died. This guy lived, he's wicked and died. Sometimes we see the summaries of someone's life in the scripture that way, right? When we start getting into Chronicles and Kings, it's like this dude was born and he died. And, uh, you know, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. So those things, dude, King, um, was born. And, you know, uh, those things, uh, those things happen. And we read those in there. But uh, this is over a span of time. So, so uh, you know, Ur wasn't just born and died. There was, there was time that, that came uh, and, and had passed. Verse 11. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. For he said, lest he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. So Judah is now promising Tamar, that his youngest son, Sheila, um, is, is, he's too young to marry Tamar, but uh, she's, she, he's making the promise to her that when he is old enough that he'll give her uh, it to him in marriage. So um, it's, it's interesting that it says here in, in verse 11 that, uh, you know, lest he die, also die like his brothers. You know, whether he thought that Tamar was a bad luck charm or uh, anything, I would, uh, when I read this, uh, you know, over the years, and, and even now in my study, my mindset hasn't changed, um, and I believe this is uh, to be that he's not convinced that his next son isn't going to grow up to be a man of, of bad character. And uh, so I, I see this, uh, that he's saying that the character of his sons, that he understands why they were taken. Uh, so both of the older sons were struck by God, uh, and killed for their wickedness. So, uh, you know, might have, might not have, as we see the story unfold, we understand that he might not have ever planned to do this, to, for this actually to happen, that he would give Sheila to Tamar. We don't know, but Tamar, the poor thing, had just lost her second husband. So she's, you guys, this, the, the, have you ever heard of like, I'm Henry VIII, I may I am, and you know, I think it's Henry VIII, right, where they would die, and you're right, you know, that, that song has popped in my head over the years when I've read through this, because, okay, boom, there's, you know, one guy gone, one guy gone, you know, and now they're, they're down to the third, and, and uh, you know, Tamar had just lost them both. She had just experienced being used by a man uh, for his pleasure and uh, neglected, and now she's being told, return to your father's house. I don't know many people that once they've moved out of mom and dad's house uh, want to go back, right? Especially after you've been married, all right? It's been married and been married twice. Probably not going to want to go back. But she does obediently. Remember, we, we, we discussed that, that she's obedient. And, you know, she's been through a lot. She, 
You know, you might look at her life and say she can't catch a break. You know, she's got one husband that was known as a wicked man. The other one was a selfish user. And, uh, you know, she had experienced great uh, sorrow at the actions and hands of men. I don't know if any of us at the hands of others have experienced great sorrow in our lives, that we've gone through things because of, uh, and, and very hard things, very deep scars that we've, uh, you know, have and have had to deal with in our lives uh, because of how people have conducted their lives and how that negatively affected us, you know, directly or indirectly. You know, we see here in the scripture uh, as we read through that the Lord works, that, that the Lord was, that this wasn't outside of God's scope of work, although all this stuff was happening, that God was uh, automatically, oh, he's chained because of these people. No, God was still at work. Uh, is what we'll see. Verse 12. Now in the process of time, so more time has passed, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted and went up to his sheep shearers in Timnah, he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. So some time has passed and Judah lost his wife. And he went uh, with his friend, the Adulamite, to uh, go uh, to the sheep shearers and um, what we see here is that it took him directly uh, past Tamar's neighborhood. And verse 13, it says, And it was told Tamar, saying, Look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So somebody knew that that would be in, of interest to Tamar and uh, went and told her. And enough years had passed that Tamar knew that Sheila was grown. It was she. They were supposed to come get her, and they hadn't. So now she's forgotten or just neglected, however you want to look at it. And uh, Judah didn't keep his promise. You know, he had vowed to her that she would be married to Shelah the third, the, the third husband she would have and the third son of Judah. So verse 14, so she took off her widow's garments. It was very clear to everybody uh, because of how a widow would dress in those days that she was a widow. So she takes off her widow's garments covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which was on the way to Timnah, for she saw that Shelah was grown and she uh, was not given to him as wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot because she had covered her face. So uh, we see that this woman is now uh, driven to a point where she thinks up a plan that she needs to um, present herself as a prostitute uh, to Judah. So Tamar has been obedient to the command of Judah. She's waited as a widow in her father's house. She did everything that she was supposed to, and Judah neglected and uh, didn't honor his word. So uh, Tamar changes out of her widow's garments, and she puts uh, garments that are uh, you know, made uh, that are different on, and she covers her face with a veil and wrap so that she would be more enticing uh, to somebody. It would be a little more obvious where how she's dressed, where she is, that she uh, would you know, be a harlot. So uh, she knew that Judah had failed to keep his promise, and she knew uh, it was on that it was on purpose. And that, that she had been forgotten and neglected. So she takes an extreme measure and uh, she 
uh, knew also knew that he'd be coming by that way. So she sat in an open way, a place in the way, uh, on the way to Timnah. And uh, Judah saw her and, and thought that she was a harlot because she had covered her face. And uh, so that was, uh, you know, a clear. it was clear to him that it, how, by how she dressed that he could approach her and, uh, and uh, try to proposition her. So uh, there... She's in that place, and uh, she's dressed so that he will, and her face is covered. And uh, what I find interesting as you as you look at this is that it that she would have known that she at least had a shot to get Judah by doing this. What did she know about him and his character that she'd say, "Hey, you know what? If I dress like a prostitute, I might get his attention." Right? Uh, it just if if you think of that, you know, when she she drums this all up. Why would she come to that conclusion? Why would she think I'm going to be able to get Judah? She somehow, you know, this is another thing. It's it's just speculation here. Uh, as I'm uh, looking at this, she knows something about Judah's character. We know that Judah has, uh, you know, quite a lack of character, where he can sell his brother off and lie to his father. What else did she know about him? We don't know, but she knows that she's at least got a shot. And if she didn't think she had a shot, she wouldn't have done it. Verse 16. Then he turned. Uh, to her, by the way, and said, please let me come into you, for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, what will you give me that you may come into me? So it's a little forthcoming, isn't it? A walk right up to somebody and get right to the point, right? And, uh, you know, assuming she's a prostitute, right? You ever watched uh, shows like Cops or whatever, where they're doing prostitution stings? And you see, I hate the fact that they call the guy a John, you know, that, that's pulling up, right? And I'm always like, great, here we go. We don't, you know, it's a, you know, they, they call a toilet John. I'm like, how does this, what did we do? You know, but uh, so they have these, you know, they, they get these people, they catch them and these guys pull right up and they're that bold and they look at them. How much? That's the same thing. They come up. How much for me to be able to use you and you benefit, right? So he, he comes up with that. You know, here's this poor woman that had to go to that point to play a prostitute when that's not who she was. She was being obedient to this man and did exactly what she was told to do, went to her father's house, remained a widow, and now she's she's driven to this point that she ends up doing this. She plays the prostitute. You know, she's not used to this type of bar bartering to sell herself, that's for sure. And uh, she uh, she's thinking, you know, uh, what, what will you give me? That you may come in. So, can you imagine how uh, you know heartbreaking that must have been, you know, for her to be like, okay, now I gotta like, I gotta play this part, and I have to actually barter, and I actually have to talk about, you know, how much how much it's gonna cost, and uh, you know, uh, that's a that's a tough thing to consider because it hasn't been part of her life when she has to uh, now take on that role. You know, she's decided to do this. Verse seventeen, and he said, "I will give you a young goat from the flock." So she said, "Will you give uh, what? Uh, will you give me a pledge uh, till you send it?" Now the King James are called a dowry. Uh, then he said, "What pledge shall I give you?" So she said, uh, "Your signet and cord and your staff that is in your hand." Then he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. So she arose and went away and laid aside her veil and put on the garments of her widowhood. That's a very tragic chain, uh, chain of events that we just read. 
here's a man that uh, is had just lost his wife and walks up, sees a lady there and wants to prop and does proposition her. She's driven to the point because she's been neglected and, and uh, she's made the decision that, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to play the harlot and I'm going to go up and I'm going to trick him. And she did. She did pretty, pretty well done. Even the fact that they slept together and she didn't, he didn't know who she was. Don't know how that all worked, but it, she was, she was, uh, successful in her plan and she uh, gets Judah to uh, they start making this deal and uh, you know she says you know I uh, you know what will you give me that you may come into me and he says I'll give you a goat a young goat that'd be something that could provide for her and uh, you know it's kind of we wouldn't probably see that today and uh, you know civilized America, you know, first world countries, you're not going to see somebody doing that, you know, giving out puppies or whatever. Right. But in that world, I mean, that's, that's a way for her to be able to sustain herself. And so he, he says, I'll give you a young goat. And, uh, well, he doesn't have the goat with her, with him. So she, she says, well, what pledge will you give me? And something that would only belong to him, signet cord and the staff that's in your hand. And uh, so he gave him to her and he went into her. So, uh, you know, she's smart. We see that, uh, that, you know, he's already broken a promise to her. And uh, she's about to offer herself to him intimately. And, uh, you know, his second son had used her. And maybe she's saying, well, you know what? Now the dad wants to use me. <coughs> Excuse me. So I'm going to make sure that I at least have something to fall back on. And, uh, you know, might have that 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 once bitten, twice shy approach. They say that once you've been bitten by a dog, you're going to be a little shy to come back. Right. And uh, so, you know, she knows she needs some surety, some type of backup. So she's smart. She's business savvy and she wants to protect herself. So she asks him for something that would only belong to him. The signet, the small seal representing one's family and, and uh, a cord uh, that may be used to tie the signet. And uh, then you have uh, the staff. So what we see happening here is these, this is like fingerprints for a crime. <laughs> you see, like, like nobody else is going to have these things. And, uh, you know, these things would, were very personal and, and uh, would bear uh, symbols that would point to Judah, Judah's ownership. Uh, and he would no doubt know that they were his. So he agrees and, and uh, they sleep together and she conceived. And then she changes back into her garments of widowhood and returns home. She has the pledge with her. Verse 20. And Judah sent the young goat by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite, uh, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he did not find her. Then he asked the men of the place, saying, Where is the harlot who is openly by the roadside? And they said, there is no harlot in this place. So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also, the men of the place said, there is no harlot in this place. Then Judah said, let her take them for herself, lest we be ashamed. For I sent this young goat and you have not found her. So Judah's trying to make good on his deal and, excuse me, try to get his, his belongings back and uh, and we see that Tamar's trick worked. So she's nowhere to be found. She had no plan to stay there. Remember, she went 
uh, you know, uh, in disguise and carried out her plan, changed up and went back. She had no intention of staying there. So nobody knew who she was. And uh, Hiram, Hira, uh, the Adulamite, went back uh, to Judah with the goat. You notice that, G Ju uh, that Judah sent his friend. He didn't want to get found out, right? He said Because he said, lest we be shamed. <laughs> so he sends somebody else. He decided to cut his losses. Isn't that how sin works? We don't want to be found out. Try to get somebody else to do the dirty work. You cover it up. Close the computer really fast. Put the phone away. You know, hide this. Hide that. Don't want to get caught, right? You get caught, then you get confronted, and there's shame. That's how sin works, right? Sin's in his heart. That's what he's dealing with. Came to pass about three months after that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. So Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned, right? You know, apparently it's clear to those around Tamar that she's pregnant. Maybe Tamar even told, uh, you know, to publicly expose his sin against her. And uh, someone goes and tells Judah, and somehow uh, they know it's from harlotry. We don't know. But Judah's response is, is just priceless. Bring her out to be burned, right? You know, hold on a second there, Judah. <laughs> Let's uh, let's see how this works out for you, bud. You know, our sins uh, always, you, you've heard Will say this before, our sins always look worse when somebody else does it. He committed, he was right involved with the, with the harlotry, right? He was involved in it. You know, burn him at the stake, right? You know, here he is because he's got everything hidden. And now he finds out, oh, wait, you know, he, he, he thought he got away with it all and um, another funny thing is when Will talked to us about Plank Guy, right? We've talked about that recently. You know, you got the speck in, in uh, your brother's eye you're all worried about, and here you are with Plank Guy. You've got this big board sticking out of your eye. You know, here he is, it's the same thing. Here he is calling her out when he was the one that participated also. And uh, you know, he, he's the one we see here that, that's responsible. And, you know, this... Uh, this woman, because he had failed to come through on his promise, had uh, had drummed up this plan and got it. And uh, you know, it's uh, he's he's pointing everybody's attention toward Tamar. Oh, anybody who would participate in that, you know, needs to be burned. So he's pointing all direction there, all everybody's attention that way. Verse twenty-five: When she was brought out, uh, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, "By the man whom these." belong i am with child and she said please determine whose these are the signet and cord and staff so things get hairy quickly when word gets back to, to our buddy judah right so uh you know she's about to be dragged off and burned alive and uh, they're ready to do it and tamar was ready she had the signet, the cord, the staff ready to defend her and save her life. And she knew that she wouldn't, uh, that, uh, she wouldn't um, be where the goat was and that she had what she needed from there. When something like this would come up, she was ready for it. And I, I think that she might have suspected this might happen. Go back, word's going to get back, and then I can actually confront him. And she says, whomever these belong to is the one that impregnated me, is what she's saying. You know, please determine, she said, whose these are. She and uh, she knew that uh, she had the ultimate defense in her possession. She had nothing to worry about. She used it when she needed to. She had uh, she had him caught. Judah was stuck. 
Judah had, had already said, she's going to be burned for what she's done. And now when she has his belongings, everything he did had to come out then, right? Wait a minute. She's got your signet ring. She's got all these things because Judah had to. And, and look at Judah's response, verse 26. So Judah acknowledged them and said, she has been more righteous than I because I did not give her Sheila, my son. And, uh, and he never knew her again. So Judah's caught. You know, he hoped that it wouldn't be exposed when he sent Hiram and, and she couldn't find the harlot. You know, he had participated and he was had not kept his promise. And he's withholding his youngest son from marrying Tamar. And, uh, you know, the, you realize that he wasn't keeping his own command that he gave to his second brother in doing so. Right. Because Ur er had died. Onan had died and, and he had given the command to Onan to, to raise up an heir. And then he actually, in his own acts, in keeping Sheila from doing so, is actually doing the same thing. Not, not the physical act uh, knowingly that, it's, that it is her like Onan did, but she got used the same way. And she was neglected the same way. Don't you know, there's something I could lose here. There's nothing for me to gain here, so I'm just not going to do it. He says that she was more righteous than he was by his own confession when he's presented with the evidence. You know, he admitted his own guilt. They, they both had sinned and, uh, you know, her sin might have been considered something that would be less bad um, than, than his. But, uh, you know, she, he, she was, that was an act of desperation in what she did. And she did it and, uh, and uh, tricked him into doing so. And, and it says that he never knew her again sexually. We don't have any other information provided, you know, so that, you know, we can assume that she continued in her widowhood. You know, there's no word that he took her in uh, or that she was uh, given to Sheila. You know, he, he just never knew her again. He didn't give. Uh, so she, uh, you know, whether whether he took her in or whether she continued in her widow, widowhood with with her two uh, sons, uh, regardless, he never went into her again. He, she, she lived the rest of her life in celibacy because of what had happened. So she couldn't. She had no no more. She that that ability to have that that. Uh, physical, the sexual desire uh, fulfilled by a husband was taken away from uh, from her by Judah. We don't really know the rest of, I mean, it, it just says here that he never knew her again. Now it came to pass, verse 27, at the time for giving birth that behold, twins were in her womb. And it was so that when she was giving birth that one uh, put out his hand and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand saying, this one came out first. Then it happened. He drew his hand back his, uh, his hand and his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, how did you break through? This is quite a thing. You got hands coming out of people and, and then going back in and, you know, then, a, you know, a baby comes out and she's going, you know, how did, how did you break through this breach be upon you? She says, therefore his name was called Perez or Perez. Uh, afterward, his brother came out uh, who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zara. So Zara had uh, had the cord uh, tied around his hand, and Perez, who's, uh, Perez, who's named uh, Breach, or he who bursts through, uh, was considered the firstborn. So God used what we're going to see here 
uh, as this is uh, coming to an end uh, in our in our study for the scripture that we're covering right now, that God used Judah and Tamar, uh, and that what we'll see here is Tamar's name is and Judah, both of them are listed in the messianic line. You know, God in His grace used such a sad and sinful uh, situation uh, to do a mighty work. And uh, you know, there's uh, uh, as we're reading this and as we started this in, in 37 and uh, sorry, uh, we talked about 37 and 39 where they covered Joseph's life. And then there's 38 sandwiched right in between those two. You know, this is about the lineage of Jesus Christ. This didn't just happen uh, and, uh, and uh, by accident. And this is written by Moses thousands of years before Christ. You know, for, uh, for somebody to speculate that the word of God was put together by men who wanted to control people. You heard that argument? I have. The Bible's just put together by a bunch of sinful guys. They just want to control people. They want, you know, all those, those, those types of arguments. How do you describe something like this? How would Moses have known to write this? Because he was inspired by God to do so. And then we see that this account is listed in the lineage all the way up. And we see King David and we see Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. These two people's names written here. And Perez, his name, Judah, Tamar, and Perez. Now God put it all together. Matthew 1, verses 1 through 3. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. If you consider uh, Ruth chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, it says, Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz, Boaz begot Obed, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. You see the name written there? So we, we see those names, Judah, Perez, Zerah, Tamar, listed in the, in the genealogy of Christ. And also when it says now this is genealogy of Perez, and it goes, and, and as we're re reading all the way down, David, uh, the, the, uh, the big king of Israel. He was the one, you know, the, the star of David. So when they think of a kingdom, they think of David's David's kingdom. It was through Perez's son, Hezron, that uh, King David and eventually Jesus Christ descended. From this story of tragedy and heartbreak, you know, when uh, the Israelites were returning to Babylon, 468 Perizzites were chosen to live in, uh, in Jerusalem. The Bible says that they were all outstanding men. And uh, you can find that in Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 4 and 6. There's, there are some lessons here. That selfishness not only leads uh, us to robbing others, but also ourselves. And look how it worked out for Onan, right? His selfishness took his own life, robbed, uh, robbed uh, Tamar of the proper uh, affection that she was supposed to get. And it robbed his brother of having an heir to carry on the name. There's so much that happens because of the sinfulness and, and the selfishness that we've, uh, we've just studied. So despite such a, a tragic life and story, 
we see that God was at work, right? All those things we just read, that, that whole thing about, about Tamar and what she went through, but then we understand that she's actually, her name is listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That can never be taken away, right? Everything, the being used by men, marrying guys that were not men of good character, and look what ends up happening. Her name is put into uh, into the genealogy of Christ. Judah's is too, <laughs> right? And we can look and go, why are such sinful and you know spiritual train wrecks in the messianic line? You know, I, I think it's you know for God to show maybe uh, to show you know God's purposes are are still accomplished despite the unrighteousness of man. You know, God still works. It's not like man can derail His plans and what He wants to do. But there are a lot of lessons in here about character, about obedience, about loving others, caring for others, instead of being so selfish like we can be so sometimes, right? There's a lot of lessons here. And of God working through all of that tragedy, all the heartbreak that that woman went through, and look where she's listed. You can look at that. You can look at Hebrews 11. You can look at some scripture and go, that person's listed here? <laughs> Samson, right? Samson committed suicide. Remember when he pushes the pylons out and everything falls on him? He's listed in there. The grace of God, the, the plan that God has. It's quite a quite a amazing thing to uh, to to meditate on as you consider what we just studied together. Amen. Amen. Let's let's pray. God, we are so grateful that you can work in our lives, even in such tragedy that help us to trust you. You know, it reminds me of a song where we we sing often here, blessed be your name, a land that's plentiful. And uh, Lord, when things aren't going well also, that we would still bless your name and praise your name, bring glory and honor to you. It's not easy for us to do sometimes, Lord, but help us to trust you. Thank you that we can see the outcome that came, that it wasn't just heartbreak. Where We know that there are accounts in here that are just full of heartbreak, but this is heartbreak and then there's uh, just a great reward, a great honor that's listed in there, I should say. Honor instead of reward. We thank you, Lord, for showing us these things. In Jesus' name, amen.